Hello. Welcome to Texas True Crime. I'm your host, Jessica. I'm so glad you're here with me today. I hope you are having a great day. It's a Sunday for me when I'm recording, but depending on what day you listen, I hope you're having a great day. I have had a great day so far. Uh, We went to brunch with some friends, had a great brunch, and then I came home and got caught up on all my housework. So that's a nice way to start the week. And I hope it doesn't create any weird background noise. I'll double check it. But the weather's so pretty, I left the window open back here in my little garage studio so I could enjoy the cool breeze. So hopefully it's not weird. I'll double check it before I put it out for you guys. And I hope you enjoy your week. Last week, we talked about the Mineola Swingers Club and just how the whole thing was blown totally out of proportion and turned everyone involved, turned their lives upside down. And some people even commented on several on Facebook and on Instagram that it really reminded them of some of the earlier cases like the McMartin preschool trial in California. And then also the Oak Hill Satanic Ritual Abuse case in Austin. Both were daycare workers, daycare facilities that were accused of sexual abuse. And just like these poor people in Mineola, Texas, the accusations were ridiculous. And if people hadn't gotten caught up in all of the crazy accusations and being worried for children and really looked at what was being said, they would all be able to tell that it was utter nonsense. But the well-meaning adults, and you can't see me because I'm putting adults in air quotes right now since they did not use adult decision-making in any of these cases, let it go crazy and ruin people's lives. There, I mean, there's really no other way to put it. So we're going to pick up where we left off, but let's just do a little recap from part one. Margie Cantrell and her husband, John, moved to Mineola from California. They fostered three siblings, Cheryl, Harlan, and Callie. The children originally denied any allegations of sexual abuse or knowing anything about a sex kindergarten, but the more Margie Cantrell pushed, the children started telling wild tales that could not be corroborated at all. But it didn't matter, because even though Wood County, where Mineola, Texas, is located, did a thorough investigation, even involved the FBI, couldn't find anything, so they dropped it all. Margie wasn't going to let it go, so she just moved to the county next door, Smith County, where she got Assistant DA Wickle and Sergeant Kemp of the Texas Rangers to go full steam ahead, whether there was proof or not proof. So, here we go. The only child that Sergeant Kemp had not gotten to say that she had been abused was Jenny, the aunt of Cheryl, Harlan, and Callie. Remember, she is Chantel Mayo, the other children's mother. It's her baby sister. So in January of 2008, Sergeant Kemp interviewed Jenny again. During the interview, Jenny finally said she'd been at the Swingers Club and had taken part in the plays and the dancing. But even when she finally said she had been there, it wasn't really a confident statement. Sergeant Kemp questioned the little girl Remember, she's like seven years old, y'all. All of these kiddos were under 10. You know, these are adults that they're supposed to trust. Police officers, their caregivers. So they want to please them. And if these adults that are supposed to be trustworthy adults are 
telling them over and over again these bad things were done to you, eventually these kids are going to think, well, they must be right. They're the grown-ups. So Sergeant Kemp questioned her for an hour. And throughout the whole interview, she denied ever having worn a costume, dancing, or any of the other things that supposedly the children were made to do. Sergeant Kemp finally asked her if she had ever done a play in a building with water around the stage and flowers on the wall. Jenny sat there for a few minutes and then said, I can picture it. Kemp replied, okay, so you've been there before? I think so, Jenny said. Sergeant Kemp asked what she did there. I think dance, she said. With whom? I think Cheryl Harlan and Callie, said Jenny. Now, doesn't that sound like she really knows what she's talking about or that she's sure? I don't feel like that's much of an actual statement. I feel like she's guessing and trying to give the response that the grown-up wants. Most people who've ever spent, and, and this too, most people that have ever spent much time with young children will tell you. If you ask the same question over and over again, eventually they're going to give you the answer they want just because, like I said, they want you to be happy with them. Now, all four children originally denied knowing anything about this sex kindergarten or the swingers club. It was only after they were interviewed over and over because of the push from Margie Cantrell that they started telling all of these wild stories that were completely over the top and made up. I mean, come on. No kid is flying around the room. Nobody, not just a kid, no person at all is flying around the room on a broom. Sorry. So, and that's the problem. This is another red flag about the way the case was handled by Texas Rangers and Smith County. Studies show that 90% of abused children will tell a social worker or the police what happened to them on the very first interview. It doesn't take multiple times. The kids want to tell what's happening so they can get help. Also, remember, there was no physical evidence whatsoever to back any of these claims up. No DNA, no fingerprints, no videotapes, nothing. Two months later in March, the first trial started. The first person was, that was put on trial was Jamie Pittman, the boyfriend of Cheryl, Harlan and Callie's mom. His attorney, Jim Hugler, did not cross-examine any of the children because he was worried that it would make it would look bad to the jury if they hassled the kids. And by now, this has been splashed all over the paper, all over the news. Everyone knows who these six adults are. And they're hated. They're vilified, which I get it. If I thought someone was doing all these horrible things to a kid, I'd hate their guts too. But, like I said, everything was based on emotion. There were no facts. So, Jamie Pittman's up there, and his attorney's trying to do the best he can. But the attorneys in this situation were out of their depth also. The Smith County DA relied heavily on the children and played on the jury's emotions, like I said. They were salt of the earth people. The jury were good down-home people, and they were horrified. I mean, this was supposedly happening right under their noses, and the DA played up to all of that. Also, everyone failed to mention to in court that Margie Cantrell told a totally different story on the stand than what she had originally reported to the police. 
No one brought this up, not even the defense attorneys. On the stand, Margie said that she and the kids had never been inside the old Swingers Club building. She said she had never let the kids walk through the building room to room. She sat on the stand and vehemently said, no, 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 when she was asked. That's an outright lie. If you remember from episode one, she told them that she walked Cheryl and Harlan through that building, and it wasn't until they had started going room to room that Cheryl remembered being there. So she lied, but no one brought this up. Now, the jury found Jamie Pittman guilty after only four minutes and sentenced him to life in prison. So they didn't even really deliberate. They had decided from the word go that this poor man was guilty. Chantel Mayo, the children's mother, well, Cheryl Harlan and Callie's mother, was up for trial in two months. The trial went pretty much the exact same way as Jamie Pittman's. This time it took the jury six minutes to convict her and send her to prison for life. All the other trials basically went the same. Everyone was convicted swiftly and sentenced to life in prison. The only one of the defendants who had a good lawyer was Booger Red. Now remember, his real name is Patrick Kelly, but everyone in town knows him as Booger Red because it was a childhood nickname. I personally feel it's a very unfortunate childhood nickname, but I digress. So, and from now on, I'm going to call him Red because I just can't call him Booger Red, y'all. Sorry. So Red's mother cashed in her 401k so that her son could have a better representation than the court-appointed attorneys that everyone else had been given. But despite his best efforts and uncovering some damning evidence against the Cantrells and the investigators in Smith County, Booger Red was also convicted and sentenced to life in prison. Now, Red's attorney, Thad Davidson, had even tried to get the trial moved. He told the court that there was no way that Red would get a fair trial if he stayed in Smith County, but this request was denied. Davidson fully believed in Red's innocence. When the charges had been brought against Red, his 16-year-old son, Boogie, also a nickname, had been removed from his home by CPS and sent to a group home in Dallas. The social worker in charge of Boogie interviewed friends and family, and not one person said they had ever seen or heard of children stripping or dancing at Red's home. They all said that the kids were around all the time, but they were riding bicycles and playing hide-and-seek. Normal kid stuff. Wholesome things. It was a family environment. Red was a married man with a son. He had no criminal background whatsoever. He loved to have friends and family over and he would barbecue for them and they would listen to country music and dance in the living room. Davidson also enlisted the help of James Woods, a nationally recognized researcher on interviewing children, and he was also a professor of psychology at the University of Texas at El Paso. He had studied the ritual abuse cases that had swept through the country in the 80s and early 90s, like the McMartin preschool trial and the Oak Hill satanic ritual abuse trial. Now, he was well-versed in these, and he, one of the main things he studied was false memories. And pretty much in every single one of those cases, they had been discredited because it was revealed that the children had been implanted with false memories. 
Woods thought the Mineola Swingers Club case shared many of the same characteristics as these cases. And I agree. If you go back and read those cases, they're very similar. Woods highlighted the fact that the children had continuously denied knowing anything about the club or the kindergarten at first. It wasn't until they had been interviewed repeatedly that they finally said they had been abused. Also, you're not supposed to ask yes or no questions in an interview of a child who's made an outcry. You're supposed to leave them open-ended so that the children can answer in their own words and not be led. Yes or no questions are leading. That was another big no-no, and Kemp did it, Sergeant Kemp did it throughout the whole process. On the second day of the trial, Davidson learned that Sherry Adams, the original owner of the Swingers Club, had been interviewed. But there had been no talk of this interview in any of the other trials. Isn't that interesting? In her interview, she said that no children had ever been to her club and that none of the defendants had ever been to her club either. She didn't know any of them. Davidson at this point moved for a mistrial, arguing that the defense should have been given this information earlier. The DA said he knew nothing, the DA of Smith County said he knew nothing about this interview, even though his lead investigator, Todd Thien, had held the interview in his office. Judge Skeen called a hearing to look at this evidence. Now, the buck was passed from person to person on why the defense wasn't given evidence that could have possibly helped prove their client's innocence. The defense attorneys all felt like the prosecution had been hiding evidence. Bobby Mims, the secretary of the Texas Criminal Defense Lawyers Association, said, and I quote, In my 30 years of practice, I've never seen anything like that. An absolute, honest-to-God frame-up. Now, Bobby Mims didn't have a dog in this fight. He was just looking at all the evidence and looking at the way things were handled. And if an outsider says this, I feel like that sums it up. The DA of Smith County, though, of course, denied all of this. He said that the defense was given everything the prosecution had. After all of this, Judge Skeen still denied a mistrial and Booger Red's trial resumed. Davidson had three of the original members of the Swingers Club come and testify that none of the children or any of the adults had ever been to the club. But it didn't seem to matter. The jury had made its mind up. Booger Red was guilty. Let's talk about Margie now. Remember I told you, she has a questionable past of her own. In the last episode, we already talked about the fact that her husband, John, had been accused by two of their adult adopted daughters of sexual abuse. Unfortunately, the statute of limitations had run out in California and they were not able to prosecute John, but they felt like they had enough evidence on it, which is really unfortunate. But it doesn't stop there. Many of the Cantrell's foster children have lots to say about the Cantrell's and a lot of it is about how manipulating and abusive Margie is. Many of the residents of Mineola reported that Margie was dramatic and that she liked to make up stories and they didn't like to get involved with her. Basically, she was a troublemaker and they didn't want anything to do with her. But see, again, if they knew this about her, why were they so ready to believe her stories? Right after the Cantrells moved to town, 
Margie tried to convince everyone that the high school football coach was abusive to his players because he yelled at them during practice. No one believed this. They knew the coach. They'd all seen practices. And it was false. So if they knew this was her tendency, why were they so ready to believe it? I guess because it was kids. Margie's adult foster children and one stepson all agreed that she has a volatile temper and would manipulate all of the kids to say what she wanted to hear. According to them, she kept them in line by using fear, humiliation, and violence against them. They all reported being slapped in the face, their hair being pulled, and thrown against the wall. Doesn't she sound like a lovely, loving mother? Bill is one of the adult foster children that Margie adopted. In fact, he's one of the adults that came to Texas with her and John. He remembers being punched in the stomach on several occasions by Margie. He calls her the puppet master. He said that she brainwashed kids into believing the stories that she made up. One time, the children watched as Margie punched their sister Veronica in the face and gave her a black eye. Margie took the girl into the bedroom and closed the door. They were in there for 30 minutes. When the two came out, both of them were laughing. Margie called all the kids together, and Veronica told everyone that she had run into a doorknob, that Margie had never punched her. She got that black eye from a doorknob. Even though Veronica was too tall for that story to make sense, Margie convinced all the kids that that was what had happened, that was what they seen. They had seen. Even Veronica believed it. So this is her personality to manipulate, gaslight, control. Kelly Cantrell is Margie's stepdaughter. She's John's daughter from his first marriage. She said that Margie loved to invent stories and that if you ever contradicted her on what happened, there would be hell to pay. So that's the thing. She wasn't just abusive to her foster children. She was abusive to her own children too. California CPS investigated the Cantrells on multiple occasions. Right before they moved to Texas, their certification to be foster parents was taken away in California. If the state of Texas had done any investigating whatsoever about the Cantrell's background, they would have found this out. The report from California read, this was the report that was filed when they removed their certification. Various physical plant violations in the outside yard, including garbage, old housing fixtures, drill bits, broken CDs, and old junk all around the home. So it doesn't sound like a healthy, wholesome living environment. Sounds like a junk pile. All of the Texas kids agreed they were too scared of Margie to ever tell authorities what was really happening in the house. Margie's stepson Aaron said that she has a volatile temper and it's unbelievable that she's even allowed to foster children. All the children say that if someone went against Margie and said she was lying, she would claim they were bipolar. That was her go-to. If someone didn't agree with Margie, then they must have some form of mental illness. Margie claims people have been out to get her for years, and it's all just because people are hateful. She has only ever shown love to all the children that she has fostered over the years. Margie claims that she gave up her life so that she could help kids. It doesn't matter that in 10 months, Margie and John made over $100,000 fostering kids. Hmm. In fact, that's pretty much what it all, all boils down to. Margie and John wanted money. And they took in as many kids as they could. They weren't worried about good quality care or truly taking care of kids. They wanted cash. 
In 2013, Cheryl Harlan and Carly were removed from the Cantrell home. CPS finally began an actual investigation on the Cantrells after receiving complaints about them from their foster children, from neighbors, and from the school. You see, not only was Margie abusing them in the home, she would just pull them out of school. And then the kids weren't there. Harlan even says that he missed almost the whole fourth grade. He doesn't know multiplication facts. He's got big chunks of his schooling missing. An affidavit written by the CPS investigator read, Police records and 911 audio recordings depict continual chaos at home. A deteriorating living environment. There is concern for the mental stability of Margaret Cantrell and the effects of such emotional issues on the children and others in the home. Doesn't that sound like a loving environment? All three children said they were physically abused while they lived with the Cantrells. Carly told authorities that Margie had grabbed her by the hair and slammed her head into the tile floor three times. Cheryl and Callie both ran away several times over the years from the Cantrell home trying to get away. Harlan reported being spanked with a wooden back scratcher until it broke and he has the scars to prove it. The Cantrells didn't stay in Texas. Later that year, they moved back to California, and that's where they are still today. Six of the seven people convicted were finally set free. But as of 2019, Dennis Pittman was still in jail. The Innocence Project was working with him to try and get him released and his name cleared. But I couldn't find any other more current information on him to see if he actually has been released from prison. Three out of the four children have now recanted their statements. Cheryl is the only one who has not come out to say that it wasn't true. She has just said that she doesn't want to deal with it anymore. And I can't blame her. Although it is believed that probably even though the adults have been let out of prison, their records still have a felony on them. So it's been really hard for them to get jobs. It's been very hard for them to move on with their lives. And I think that's also why they've been so stigmatized in their community because, I mean, they're social pariahs. Because even though they were let go, it's still believed that they were guilty by a lot of people. And everyone really believes that the only way to truly clear them is if Cheryl also testifies or recants. But I also understand why she just doesn't want to have anything to do with it anymore. I can see both sides to it. Harlan told reporters that Margie would drag him and Cheryl into her bedroom at night, keep them awake, and drill into them the stories that she wanted them to tell. She would tell them over and over about a sex kindergarten and a swingers club. He said that she would keep him awake. She wouldn't let them go to sleep. And in fact, they weren't allowed to leave the room until they repeated what she wanted them to say. Callie said that she didn't even remember any of the trial or anything she had said that she had like blocked it out, but she was little. She was six years old and she didn't remember anything about any of it, why she was in foster care or anything until she read a report about, about her that was lying open on a counselor's desk. She was sitting in the counselor's office and the counselor got up and left. Well, Callie was interested in what it said and she started reading. And she was like, what in the world is all of this? 
and she didn't remember any of it, but she said, if I couldn't remember it, I know none of it could have actually been true. When Callie was 18, she reached out to her mother and siblings. She found them on Facebook. And now they are all on good terms. Callie lives with her mother and Harlan does too. Now, Jenny, remember, she was the last one to confirm any of the sexual abuse allegations. She also reached out to her parents. And she lives with her mother now and sees her father regularly. Jenny even says that towards the end of the trial, she... She knew in her heart that what she was saying wasn't true, and she hated it. She was sick of it. They had drug her through. They drug all those kids through all those trials over and over and over again. Sometimes they would have to testify for up to nine hours at a time. It's ridiculous. That's the abuse right there. And she said finally one of the last times she testified, she told the DA of Smith County, don't ever ask me to do this again. So you go, little girl. She's obviously got some spunk. Now, she's tried to convince Cheryl to come forth and recant her statement, but Cheryl just keeps saying no. But they're all on good terms now and speaking to the adults involved, and they've apologized to the adults, which, of course, all the adults say they don't need to apologize. They were children. All the children, though, have suffered over the years. They all agreed that the person who abused them was Margie Cantrell, not just in her home, but also by making them believe the stories that she told them and making them testify at multiple trials over and over again. Jenny and Callie have both struggled with depression and anger issues, and they believe that it's a direct direct result from everything Margie Cantrell put them through. They're all trying to overcome different obstacles from that time, but they're doing well and working to get their lives together. In fact, Cheryl enrolled at Sam Houston State University and is attending school. Jenny wants to become a vet. Um, Callie lives, like I said, lives with her mother and she's working on, she was working on getting her GED. And Harlan was also on good terms with everybody and doing well for himself. The adults are all working to get their lives back on track, too. Like I said, they were social pariahs in their hometown. It was hard for them to get jobs because they were felon, you know, they have felonies on their records and they were treated horribly for years. But they, too, are working to get their lives back on track. In fact, Chantel Mayo has her own cleaning service. Uh, Jamie Pittman has is a truck driver. So things are going okay for them, even after all of this. But they all agree. There's only one person that's to blame. It's not the kids. They've all told their children that they don't blame them one bit. They, Margie and the, uh, sorry, Margie and John Cantrell are the ones to blame. They were able to return to California without any consequences for the story they concocted that ruined so many lives. In fact, Jamie Pittman said that He doesn't even care if they're ever brought to justice whatsoever. He would just like Margie Cantrell to publicly apologize and admit that she made it all up. But as we all know, I'm sure Margie is never going to do that. I wanted to make a note that all the articles and information that I started my research with had changed the kids' names because at the time they were all minors. 
If you watch a documentary about them or read anything current, their real names are used. Their names are Shelby, Hunter, Carly, and Gabby. I believe they deserve to be recognized for their bravery in speaking out about the abuse they were put through because of Margie Cantrell and the Smith County DA's office. Thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was very eye-opening to me to see just how poorly Smith County and the Texas Rangers handled this. And I hope one day all the families involved get justice. I'd love to hear your thoughts or comments about it. I've already heard some great feedback from you guys, and I'd love to hear more. You can find me on Instagram at Texas True Crime Pod. You can find me on Facebook at Texas True Crime. You can also send me an email at Texas True Crime Podcast. I'd love to hear from all of you. Um, also, if you like what you're hearing, please go and leave a five-star review and tell a friend because, like I say, word of mouth spreads quicker than anything else. Thanks, and y'all have a great week. Bye.